This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. What's good, everybody? I'm Dion Rabowin for The Wall Street Journal, and this is WSJ's Take on the Week, the show where we break down the most important things to watch in business and financial news. We cut through the noise to get you ready for what matters. Stocks rebounded last week, rising for the first time in six weeks, as bond yields declined from their highest levels in more than 15 years. So what does that mean for the Federal Reserve and how much you pay to borrow money? This week, we are talking to the president and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, Mary Daly. She oversees the largest and most diverse Federal Reserve District, which is home to one-fifth of the nation's population. There's a lot of uncertainty in economic data these days. We got a blowout jobs report at the beginning of the month to go along with recent readings on inflation that suggest prices are rising, but Americans' wages aren't keeping up. And then there are rising credit card delinquencies and small business bankruptcies. Given that environment, President Daly says she's thinking about her central banking game a lot like her tennis game. When I was playing tennis, I stood in the middle of the court because if you stand at the very back, you have to hope they don't hit it right over the net and then you lose. Or if you stand really close to the net, they'll hit it right over your head. So if you stand in the middle of the court, you can get to any part of the court and you're more effective. And I think that's a correct metaphor for policy right now. President Daly will explain all of that in our exclusive interview later in the show. But first, we expect to hear from Tesla, Netflix, Goldman Sachs, and hundreds of other companies set to deliver earnings this week. The big banks kicked off earnings season last week and again showed solid growth. But there's a lot more to come. To keep your head from spinning, we're joined by Michael Farr. CEO of investment advisory firm Farr, Miller & Washington, a division of Hightower Advisors, where Michael also serves as chief market strategist. Hightower manages around $120 billion in assets and invests in a lot of the companies that are set to report this week. They own shares of Goldman Sachs, Procter & Gamble, and Johnson & Johnson. Michael is bringing his more than 35 years of investing experience to talk about which companies reporting this week he thinks will tell us the most about the state of the economy and where the market is headed. As an investor, an asset manager who owns a lot of the companies, or at least some of the companies we're going to hear from this week, what's the question you most want to have answered? I want to see if they're growing revenue, number one. I want to see what Netflix is doing and if their new pricing model, for instance, is working, cutting down on the licenses, making sure the person who's paying is actually doing the watching. I want to Mm. see on some of these financials whether they're seeing a deposit flight, particularly Schwab, particularly B of A, lower interest rates there. And are they seeing deposit flight? Is that really hurting? 
So I want to see where the interest rates are going. And the difference I'm going to look for for Goldman Sachs, for instance, is going to be a lot of the trading revenue because a lot of the investment banking revenue has been pressured. So trading, fixed income revenues, those are going to be very important there. I want to see if there are headwinds that are being presented by this stronger currency. So the dollar has really rallied and it really rallied big time in the third quarter. So when you have earnings overseas, all those other international operations, when you bring those earnings back to report them in U.S. dollars, the higher dollar means that it looks like you didn't earn as much money. I appreciate you explaining that so I don't have to, Michael. Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) So focusing back in on this week, tell me what's the company you're most looking forward to hearing from? The one I really want to hear from is Johnson & Johnson. I'm very, very interested to hear about what's going on there. I've also been watching, you know, as some of these other companies have been sort of squeezed a little bit by some of these obesity drugs, whether it's Ozempic or whether it's Manjaro by Eli Lilly, Eli Lilly getting through the FDA with their approval for that Manjaro. This could change. Pepsi-Cola started to drop because they're worried about people not buying the snack food business and not buying the sugar foods. I think you could see more of that. I think these drugs are so huge and making such a huge difference. People are not hungry on these drugs. They're losing a lot of weight. So maybe McDonald's, maybe some of the fast food, maybe other junk food Mm. providers in the snack business. Those are things we could hear about in all these earnings reports. So if you're an investor and you think earnings reports are kind of a boring thing, think about the message behind them because they're telling you how Americans are spending their money. And one thing that I'll mention coming in here to the fourth quarter is that investors seem to be nervous. And if you're really paying attention, you have every right to be nervous. Just don't make the mistake of doing something, feeling like you need to do something because you're nervous. Stick with your discipline. Nerves should be a part of your discipline. And the reason you have a discipline is to get you through the nervous period. Stay focused on your long-term goals. And as I often say, don't just do something, sit there. That's Michael Farr, CEO of Farr, Miller & Washington, reminding us that sometimes the best action to take when it comes to investing is no action at all. Up next, we've got San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly. As Michael says, don't just do something, sit there. We'll be right back. This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Mary Daly's story is probably not what comes to mind when most people imagine a central banker. She is a high school dropout from Baldwin, Missouri, who spent time living on friends' couches and working at donut shops. She got her GED, got a degree in economics and philosophy from the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and then a master's degree from the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, 
then a PhD in economics from Syracuse University, and started working at the San Francisco Fed in 1996, specializing in labor market dynamics and economic inequality. In 2018, Daly became the first openly gay woman ever named to lead a regional Federal Reserve Bank. Today, three of the seven members of the Federal Reserve's Board of Governors are women, including the first black woman and the first Latina. The Fed also now has multiple leaders who have backgrounds studying poverty and labor. This is not your father's Federal Reserve, packed with bankers and businessmen. And that could make a big difference in how the Fed decides what comes next for U.S. interest rates policy. Daly is an alternate on the Fed's rate-setting committee this year, and in January 2024, will be a voter deciding policy. At the Fed's latest meeting in September, there was a clear divide about whether to raise rates again this year and how high rates should be next year. Daly describes herself as a centrist on policy, not leaning too hard in favor of raising rates, but not leaning too hard against the idea either. So her vote will likely be an important one. I sat down with President Daly earlier this month after her speech at the Economic Club of New York to talk about how she's looking at the data and what investors and everyday people worried about the future should be watching. So, President Daly, I think the market wants to know, how much longer do you think the Fed is going to keep rates high? The data will tell us. Here's the thing. We don't know yet what we'll need to do. If we did know, we could say. But it is not the right thing to say and not know. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to instead give people the tools they need to figure it out as the data come in. Right now, standing where we are today, it looks like rates will have to be higher for longer into 2024 before we can be confident that inflation is coming down and will hit 2% in 2025. If those things change and the data come in more positively, then we can make the adjustments as necessary. Or if they come in more negatively, then we can, of course, stand a period of time for which the rates will be high. So it's data dependent. So within the data, right, because I think there are a lot of ways to analyze the data. You've got core inflation coming down, but you've got overall inflation picking back up. What's your view on that? Is your view, like Chair Powell articulated, that this is what we want to see? Or is your view a bit more worried because overall inflation with food and gasoline prices incorporated is rising? Well, those are volatile. Policy volatility is not good for the American economy. I'm really focused on core inflation because if we get core inflation coming back down, then people are accustomed to having variability in food and energy. Right now, the variability in food and energy is added to 3 4% inflation on everything else. And that's really what's crunching people. So I feel very confident that we are working on the right things, getting the other things down, and that is what I want to see. And then food and energy will have to continue to monitor, but we can't really control those prices. Those are set by, you know, world markets on the price of food and the price of oil. You talked about a vigorous debate that's happening inside the Fed because, as you said, right now you've passed the easy part, right? Inflation was high, you got to raise rates. Inflation was too low, got to stimulate the economy. Now there's a lot of, well, how do you see it versus how do you see it? Talk to me, if you would, about the debate going on inside the Fed. So we always have vigorous debates. And right now, 
is no different. The reason we have these vigorous debates is to really try to get to the right answer. So right now we're talking about the things you would think we were talking about. Is policy sufficiently restrictive? How long do we have to hold the rate high to really truly bring inflation down? What is the prognosis for inflation? Does it look like it's coming down? We're talking right now a lot about housing. Is the housing inflation really going to keep coming down or is it going to bottom out and start heading back up? And is that a problem we have to think about? What's going to happen with that super core, you know, the the other services we talked about, restaurants and medical services. So those are vigorous debates about what is the data telling us, how much policy restriction will we need, and how long will we need it. And I think that's what the American people deserve, honestly, is that we should be vigorously debating. I mean, their lives and livelihoods are affected by our decisions, so we should bring our very best debates and arguments to the topic. Where are you standing on those debates, and what are you hearing in maybe contrast or maybe opposition to some of your positions? So for me, I tend to be a centrist, not on either one side or the other. I tend to really be at a point where I feel policy is in a good place. The economy is behaving the way I would expect it to behave at this point in the tightening cycle. And I need more information to really be confident that inflation is on its way down. I have this sticker that I made when I took the job as president. It says, be curious, be confident, be humble and do that in that order. So I'm voraciously curious. I think that's critical. Mm -hmm. We have to be confident in the decisions we make. That's why we debate so much. But then we should be humble about whether we need to take a different path the minute we've made a decision so that we're constantly revising and staying true to the information as it comes in. And so that's how I do my job. And and that's why I end up mostly in the center of things because I really want to be, think of tennis or pickleball or whatever people are playing nowadays. Are you a pickleball in, player? I'm, a, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to be playing pickleball. But, but when I was playing tennis, I stood in the middle of the court because if you stand at the very back, you have to hope they don't hit it right over the net and then you lose. Or if you stand really close to the net, they'll hit it right over your head. So if you stand in the middle of the court, you can get to any part of the court and you're more effective. Whatever comes at you, you can respond to. And I think that's a correct metaphor for policy right now. We need to be mid-court so that if inflation really slows, we're in a position to stop Mm -hmm. raising and be responsive to those data. But if inflation starts to pick back up, we're in a position to say, okay, more is necessary or holding it longer is necessary. And the hard part is for Americans, they, they want the answer right away. I don't blame them, but I don't think we have an answer that we could be certain we wouldn't reverse. We'll have more from our conversation with San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly after the break. Join the Wall Street Journal at the Future of Everything Festival on May 21st to 23rd in New York City, where diverse global newsmakers share unique perspectives on navigating a changing world. Immerse yourself in live performances, explore pioneering technologies, and indulge in the city's inventive culinary scene. As a podcast listener, enjoy 20% off current ticket rates with code PODCAST. Visit wsj.com slash f-o-e-f podcast to secure your spot. Thanks for sticking with us. Now let's get back to my interview with San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly. Would you say the reaction that you've seen in financial markets is enough to kind of keep you saying, okay, well, we don't necessarily need to raise rates again this year? 
I'm going to watch the financial markets carefully and the bond yields. And if they stay at these levels, well, then the need for us to jump in and do another rate hike has been diminished. But we don't know that they'll stay at these levels because right now we don't know what exactly is driving them. So I'm keeping my options open, but I do absolutely want everybody who's listening to recognize if financial conditions have tightened already, we don't need to do as much. Mm. So financial markets have done it for us. We don't need to do more. Yeah. The other thing is financial markets affect the real world, right? Like these rising bond yields have really hurt the stock market, but they've also led to a slowdown in home buying. You know, those mortgage rates and home affordability has risen and priced a lot of people, millions of people out of the market. So what do you say to people who see that and who are worried about Fed policy, markets, things like that? You know, I'm so glad you asked this question because that is a top of mind question for me is you raise... Uh, interest rates. And those who are already feeling priced out of the market now are priced out for a different reason. Before they were priced out because the price of homes was rising too quickly. Now they're priced out because they can't afford the mortgage. But so we brought people in from our community advisory council, from the communities who are in housing. And we said, this is the trade-off we're in. What is your view? And each and every person said, get inflation down. Because interest rates, they go up and they come down. But if the inflation keeps rising on housing, we never get a chance. So that to me was the right way to think about it. I think ultimately people understand that inflation is a toxic tax. And even when you're working hard and doing everything right, saving, inflation erodes your purchasing power, which erodes your ability to do the things you want to do. Mortgage interest rates, interest rates, they rise and fall as the economy rebalances. And so it's more about waiting and less about being permanently priced out. What do you say to people who maybe have lost some confidence in the Fed's ability to get inflation to 2%? So I ask people a question every time I meet with them. And I meet with a lot of people as part of my job. And I meet with workers, small business leaders, medium-sized business leaders, community members, everyone. And I always ask them, what's your most pressing concern? And they tell me inflation. I said, okay, are you committed to us getting it to 2%? And they said, oh, yes. Can you get it under 2%? And that's really informed my thinking because if you come in and you think, well, people would rather have it at 3 they do the calculation. And they realize 3% inflation on a base of high prices already is, a lot, is, is really a lot more loss to their purchasing power. And they know eventually wages and things will catch up, but eventually it's a long way away. So I'm not hearing much from low, moderate income communities about stop the fight on inflation, they're actually asking, why can't you get it done faster? And so one of the roles I end up playing is saying, well, if we do it too quickly, we could end up causing a downturn. If we cause a downturn, then we have job loss and inflation, and we don't want that. So what I took away from this is if I started out worrying that people might actually not be as upset about the inflation as the Fed is. And I've ended my two-year kind of going out in the community with people care a lot more about inflation than I thought they did. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, my job, and I take this extremely seriously, is bring inflation down as gently as we possibly can. So we definitely want to get it down to 2% within a range of time that feels comfortable for people. And we don't want to tip over the economy if we can absolutely help it. So that's what we've been doing. And so far, I would offer it's working. But we have a lot of work ahead of us, and we can't declare victory yet. That was San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly. 
On Saturday, she and her colleagues will begin their blackout period, where no officials are permitted to make public comments, ahead of their two-day policy meeting, which begins October 31st. Keep President Daley's comments in mind as you read through the economic data and earnings reports we're expecting this week. And that's everything you need to know to take on the week for Sunday, October 15th. The show is produced by Jessica Jupiter. Jonathan Sanders is our booking producer. Michael Laval and Jessica Fenton are our sound designers. Michael also wrote our theme music. Aisha Al-Muslim is our development producer. Scott Salloway and Chris Zinsley are the deputy editors. And Falana Patterson is the head of news audio for The Wall Street Journal. For even more, head to WSJ.com. I'm Dion Rabowin. Stay smart. <laughs>